There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, specializing in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crisis. We have a terrific guest today. <clears throat> My Naval Academy classmate, Dr. Clark Corky Graham, is the founder and chief executive officer of the nonprofit Let's Go Boys and Girls, Inc. Dr. Graham received his PhD degree in mechanical engineering from MIT in 1969 and a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the United States Naval Academy. He retired as a captain following a distinguished 30-year career with the United States Navy as a naval architect and marine engineer. Following his naval career, Dr. Graham joined Northrop Grumman as senior vice president in the shipbuilding sector. His positions at Northrop Grumman included technical director of the Zumwalt Destroyer Program and senior vice president in charge of Northrop Grumman's Gulf Coast shipbuilding operations with over 10,000 employees. Dr. Graham has the distinction of being the only individual to receive both the David Taylor Gold Medal from the Society of Naval Architects and Marine Engineers and the Gold Medal from the American Society of Naval Engineers. After retirement from Northrop Grumman, Dr. Graham founded Let's Go Boys and Girls in Maryland. Let's Go stands for leadership, engineering, technology, science generating opportunities and is a program that is inspiring and support and supports underserved students to become professional science scientists and engineers so welcome my classmate to it's all about skills well charlie uh, it's great to be with a classmate and always wonderful uh, to work with naval academy alumni like yourself and and likewise with you corky well, let's just start first by telling us how you got that nickname, Corky. Well, um, I have an older brother and a younger sister, and we all had nicknames. We never used our real name. My brother was Rocky, and my sister was Missy. Now, as they grew up and became more sophisticated, they dropped their childhood name. I decided to keep my name, Corky. I thought it was just fine. I remember when I made captain, my staff came up to me and said, sir, I'm sure we can no longer call you Corky because you're now a Navy captain. And I looked at him very sternly and said, well, you can either call me Corky or Captain Corky. So, <laughs> so I, I, I kept that name forever. That name stuck and your, your classmates all, all remember Corky. Okay, um, let's reflect a bit on the past. Tell us what motivated you to go to the Naval Academy. Well, I'll tell you, Charlie, uh, I aspired to go to the Naval Academy in, I'd say, sixth grade in middle school. 
My father graduated from the Naval Academy in 1934. He served in World War II, commanding destroyers. We had USNA memorabilia and, and uh, Navy magazine shipmates, you know, all the time. And I knew I wanted to become a midshipman. There was no doubt in my mind. And you did so. And I'll say, because I studied the, what it takes to, you know, get a, uh, get in the Naval Academy, I started working harder than I even was before then to groom myself to, you know, to qualify. That's amazing. Now, if you sum up your experience at the Academy, what would you say were the most important skills that you learned? Well, Charlie, I'll tell you, I really liked your book and, you know, uh, have reflected on your eight critical skills. I'd say every single one of those every single one was driven home at the Naval Academy, but four in particular, uh, communications and the interpersonal skills that you address because they contribute so directly to teamwork. And teamwork is everything at the Naval Academy, everything within the services and quite frankly, in industry and the nonprofit. So those two skills became predominant but also, as you described, production and time management. As you know, midshipmen are required to do, I'd say, so much more than college students in a civilian university. We got to do the rigorous academics. We have all the military rates and military requirements. We're all required to play a sport, either intramural or varsity participate in extracurricular activities. I know you were active in the drum and bugle corps. I participated in two varsity sports. So the time management is critical. And of course, it's all about production. We have to produce results. We have to make things happen and do it in a very timely way. So boy, those skills were driven in on day one. And by the way, have stuck with me my whole career. Yeah, they, they are portable and they, they do go with you wherever you go. Everything, yes. Corky, you st stood very high in your class and were able to choose virtually anything you wanted to do after graduation. So what did you choose and why? Well, you know, as you know, there's three major, four major selection criteria or selection opportunities. Go fly like you did. Uh, I'm going to submarines like you did go fly Navy airplanes, go in surface warfare ships, or go in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. So I went into surface line, but before I you know, got into the fleet, I knew I wanted to go to postgraduate school. Mm -hmm. And um, I aspired to what I thought was the most challenging opportunity, and that is to get a Rhodes Scholarship. That was really the blue ribbon. I competed for that, didn't quite make it. I was first alternate, a little disappointed. But, you know, again, I learned you always have a backup. So my backup was the Burke Scholar Program uh, funded by the Navy, which allowed me to get a PhD in any university in the country in a technical field. So I chose MIT, chose mechanical engineering and naval architecture. And um, so that's what I did immediately. And as a result of getting that advanced education in engineering, I chose to switch my designator to restricted line to what's called engineering duty officer, mm -hmm. which means that I could dedicate my career 
in designing and building Navy ships. And I thought that was tremendously important, Charlie, because we were in the middle of the Cold War versus the Soviet Union, as you know, yep. okay? Um, and it was luckily, it was a Cold War, not a shooting war. The competition was technology, eco the economic strength of the country and our just moral principles, you know, our way of life as a democracy. But I'll tell you, um, whoever controls the seas really controls the situation in the world. So controlling the seas, our Navy had to be stronger than the Soviet Navy. And that's what I dedicated my naval career to make sure our ships were better than the Soviet ships. Mm -hmm. And so you spent your time in the Navy in the uh, engineering duty officer kind of uh, role and uh, involved in shipbuilding, ship design, and that sort of thing. Uh, absolutely, and you know, you're part of huge teams. I mean, you know, a, a naval ship is one of the most complex systems that we design. It has to be integrated into the entire uh, infrastructure of the, de the defense infrastructure. So it's very complex and it has huge sized teams. You know, teams of, of uh, leading experts within the Navy, both uniformed and civilian, but also in industry, working with the Northrop Grumman's, the Lockheed Martin's, the Raytheon's, the Ingalls shipyards. Um, so it's all about communication and teamwork and, and producing results in an integrated systems fashion. And boy, that's what we learned. We had to do it. And by golly, we were going to do it better than the Soviet Union. And you did, and, and, you, and those skills followed you throughout the whole 30 year career. Uh, absolutely, and then uh, they applied, of course, when I was a uniformed officer in the Navy where I was program manager and technical director of Navy programs, but then I did pretty much the same thing at Northrop Grumman, exactly the same skills convey, you're just on the other side of the contract, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, well, you're very energetic and quite frankly, all the times that I've known you, you, you are good at many, many things and, you're, you're, and you like what you're doing. But there's one thing that you weren't good at and you didn't like and when you got out of the Navy that was doing nothing. So what did you do? You're not good at doing nothing and you don't like it. Well, you're absolutely right, Charlie. I'll tell you, I, um, I, re I was, had to retire from Northrop Grumman after 14 years because they have a rule that if you're senior at above us, uh, senior vice president, you had to retire at age 66 mm -hmm. to provide upward mobility opportunities. So I thought I volunteered and said, I wanna work forever. And Northrop Grumman say, no, that's our rule. So, you know, thank you very much. You're now retired. And I wasn't quite ready for it because I honestly thought I'd continue to work uh, forever uh, in the defense business. But I played golf for maybe two weeks and decided, oh my gosh, that was not gonna be enough. So I'll tell you what I did. I was always um, a little chagrin uh, working as a Naval officer and then uh, as an industry executive that I didn't spend enough time in the community mm -hmm. serving the underrepresented, the kind of the down and out part of our society. I was just too busy with my primary job. So then I was retired. I said, my gosh, now I have 100% of my time to do that. 
Mm-hmm. So what I did after two weeks is I marched into the local boys and girls club here in Annapolis. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'd like to talk to your executive director, a guy named Reggie Brody, good guy. And I introduced myself. I said, Reggie, what do you do for these inner city kids mm-hmm. that obviously come from low income status? What do you do for them to improve their education and life skills development? Mm-hmm. And he said, not enough. And I said, what do you do specifically in STEM since, uh, you know, a lot of the good jobs in our society are STEM and STEM related jobs because we're in the information age. And he said, gosh, we don't know how to do that at all. So we shook hands and said, let's start a STEM education program for these kids, inner city kids in Annapolis. And by the way, let's start tomorrow. And that we had you to a T because you're one of these guys that when you want to do something, you just get out and do it. So yeah, all well, we had no money, no expertise, no nothing. I mean, we just said it's a good idea, so let's start it. Well, that was a perfect opportunity, opportunity because you loved it and you weren't all that good at it, but you've got the capability to really get good at it. Well, so, quite frankly, you know, going back to your eight skills, they all apply no matter what you do. So I went in uh, to a, I don't know what store, um, and bought a, a Lego robotics kit, about $300, just picked it up. And the next day I was right in the middle of the boys and girls club with all these parts all over the place and just said, okay, kids, come on down and sit down and let's design and build an autonomous robot. I had never done it. Um, they had never done it. I said, okay, why don't you read the instructions? You go ahead and do this. And about 10 of us worked on it. And in about five days, we had an autonomous robot that could do some things. And we didn't know whether the kids would want to do this as opposed to playing basketball or doing video games or just hanging out, but they were really attracted to this. So I knew we had something going. So that motivated me to form a nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit so we could raise money. And that was the start. That was 12 and a half years ago. And that was the start of Let's Go Boys and Girls. And so you really had a spark under, you know, lighting you up as a new mission in your life. So, well, you know, it, it was a new mission. I'll tell you, uh, I use the expression now ministry or calling. Mm-hmm. I knew that, to tell you the truth, Charlie, and, and this is very sincere. I thought it would be unpatriotic to put my capabilities on the shelf. Yep. You know, I still had some capabilities, um, some experiences, and I was very worried about the inequities in our society, the low income families not having the opportunities that I'm sure you and I had and our children had. And I said, that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And Corky, what was your initial dream? for Let's Go Boys and Girls? Well, the initial dream was more STEM related. In other words, I researched, and it's a true fact that in our country, we do not have a sufficient number of STEM students ready to enter the STEM professional workforce. So we go overseas and we farm out a lot of our work to other countries, which is okay, but why not our own people, you know, our own indicate. And then I researched also that inner city kids, kids of color, 
and from low income status are so un underrepresented. And of course, women are too. So I said, this bothers me. So I said, the country needs more STEM professionals and let's get them from the, the de demographics that are under-numbered or underrepresented. Mm -hmm. So that kind of kills two birds with one stone. But then as I got into it, um, the, our mission statement now is break the cycle of poverty through STEM education and workforce development. So it has three phrases. Now the most significant phrase is break the cycle of poverty. Mm -hmm. I think that's the imperative and we happen to do it by attracting low income students into STEM. Why STEM? Because in the information age, that's where the higher paying jobs, the lower unemployment rates, the greater workforce flexibility for single parents. So, you know, it matches, it matches. It's so right now we are really focused on breaking the cycle of poverty in the inner cities and rural communities across the country. Mm -hmm. And after you started that, there was a period of time, maybe two or three years or so, when you uh, were, were testing the waters and trying new things. Uh, what, and you developed kind of a proto protocol for programs for, stu for students. So what are the main steps that a youth might take in a Let's Go Boys and Girls program? Yeah. First of all, I, you know, in the Navy and in Northrop Grumman, I was always kind of a systems architect, a systems person. You know, I saw the big picture and integrated large teams to work on a large scale, persistent problems require system solutions, integrated system solutions. So I naturally brought that propensity, that expertise to the nonprofit sector. So when you look at poverty, youth and families living in low income communities there's so many systemic problems that are holding them down, you know, and I can just list them, but you know, they just, their schools are not as proficient. Their local communities have lots of negative influences. There's, you know, just, it's just really hard. So I approach that as a systems challenge. We bought the expertise of STEM education and workforce development but we realize we have to work with other organizations that provide services in other areas like don't get into drugs, mm -hmm. avoid teen pregnancies, uh, all sorts of family issues at home because you can motivate a, a young student and they say, gee, I wanna be a STEM professional, but they could go home to a disastrous environment and it all gets squashed. Mm -hmm. But in our program, we have four phases and we are a kindergarten through workforce. So we're a total of 12 to 16 years. We try to work with our kids. In the first phase, which we call STEM activities, we introduce project-based learning in the STEM disciplines from K to eighth grade. The kids come, they build robots, they do engineering experiments, they do science experiments in teams, never by themselves and in, in groups of kids. And the purpose there is to have them develop STEM interest and STEM identity, where the, the child internalizes, I like STEM, I can do STEM, 
and STEM is important to me. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, it's important to me because we tell them it gets, you know, you yep. get well-paid jobs, you know, and that's what they, they're looking for. So that's phase one, we get that identity. And quite frankly, Charlie, they wouldn't get that without us or similar programs because they're not gonna get it at home because there's probably not a STEM professional in the family and not in their immediate neighborhood. So they don't have any role models like I had role models. Okay. That leads to phase two, which we call STEM scholars. Mm -hmm. The kids that persist, that keep on coming back and, and develop a real strong STEM identity, we call them let's go STEM scholars. And they kind of like it. Oh, I'm a STEM scholar. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. But there we do much more for the kids. We help them form competitive STEM teams. And that's real authentic developing skills and workforce development. And I'll tell you more about that, that later on. And we take them on field trips. We have parent workshops. We invite uh, people from the field to them, particularly those that look like them that have you know same uh, background. And we really just develop their STEM scholarship. They, they just become more committed to STEM. That leads into phase three as the kids get into high school where we work with the kids to get paid STEM internships. Mm -hmm. And that's the transition into the workforce. Okay. And there we really have to work with these kids to get them ready for a white collar work environment. You know, they're coming from pretty, you know, depressed communities. They got to get ready to the white collar environment. So we get them successful in STEM internships, maybe one, two, three years, four years in duration. And then phase four, we help them get into the workforce. So it's a long, long journey, very integrated. We keep uh, a database of all of our students to see where they are on this pathway to success. Uh, but that's our that's our gold standard. We don't always achieve it, but that's what we strive to achieve. Well, that's a comprehensive program, and as you said, that's uh, that's like highly focused project-based learning. Absolutely, Charles. So let me talk a little bit more about project-based learning. I know. Oh, wait a minute. Can I can I ask you a question before you yeah. get into that? Can you give me an example of one of the students that may have gone through the program? I know we shared this information before, but it was really inspiring when you talked about as one of the students that uh, went through the program? Well, I'll I could give you many examples, but one um, that comes to mind, we had a, um, a student that had been in our program for a couple of years, inner city, really a tough background. And um, we asked him, would you like to have a summer internship? And he said, well, geez, I got to earn money and boy, it'd be really good. Yeah, that sounds good. So. We worked with him, spent hours telling him what the environment was going to be about. We said, you got to find transportation and practice the transportation because we want you on time at 730 every morning. So he gets there. I won't mention his name. And in two weeks of an eight week internship, we get a phone call from the supervisor saying we're kicking him out of the program. I said, you're what? Hmm. So we went in there like, you know, gangbusters and, and said, what is going on? Well, he was bringing, I'll, I'll call it his skills or his lack of skills from the inner city to this environment and did some very inappropriate things. 
anyway, we intervened. We read him the riot act. We, we mentored him and he finished the eight weeks. And I remember the following. He gave his five minute presentation, kind of a graduation. And here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, when I got here, I want you to know, I know how to do in the hood. He used that word. I know how to do in the hood. I came out here and I did not know how to do anything. But you guys gave me a helping hand. I know I can do it now. And this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Now, that is an example of something that must have given you incredible satisfaction. It was. And by the way, he got a return on the next year and a third year. And now he's into his fourth year in the college internship program. And he's already been offered a job by the U.S. Navy as an engineer upon graduation from college. Wow. Wow. Now, that's an example. That's, oh, my, that's, that's incredible. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you a little bit when you were going to go into a little more depth about project-based learning. Well, you know, that's really starts, uh, well, it starts in, in, in even phase one, but in phase two, the STEM scholars, we help between 10 and 15 teams in our tri-city region of Baltimore, D.C. and Annapolis to form competitive STEM teams, such as First Lego League Robotics that has very large program, Maryland Science Olympiad, Sea uh, Perch Robotics. But Charlie, let, let's talk about First Lego League Robotics. It's about a four month program, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, in late August, they get a description of this year's uh, ground rules for the competition, you know, the mission statement. And there's a team of like 10 kids with at least one to two adults. And they have to do everything that I did as an engineer, but on a miniature level. Mm -hmm. They read the requirements, they search it, they develop strategies as to which submissions to go after. They design the physical chassis of the robot. They do the computer programming to program the robot. They design it, they test it, they retest it, they iterate. And they know that at a certain time, they have to go out into the world, real world and compete. Yep. I mean, there's a time limit and they know they're going to be competing in say a regional competition with 20 other teams and they're going to be in the spotlight. Yep. And by the way, our kids know they're competing against teams from Bethesda, Maryland and Chevy Chase and, you know, wealthy communities and they're from inner city Baltimore, you know, and that they're, they're, you know, they know there's a little bit extra pressure on it. Well, they go to the tournaments and they equip themselves quite well, Charlie. I can imagine. We've had, we've had programs, uh, uh, teams that have made it to the state championship, which means they're in the top 10%. And that's authentic learning. I mean, they have to do things just like a team of engineers and builders do in the real world, but on a miniature scale. Well, I'll tell you, you know, when you talk about this, Corky, you get animated and, and you de demonstrate an incredible passion for the program. And after all, a little more than a decade of, of getting this off the ground, uh, where does the program stand now? Well, we're in good solid, uh, you know, working in the nonprofit uh, sector is to me way more challenging than in the government sector and in the private sector where there's huge amounts of money and incredible depth of talent 
Uh, you just don't see that in the nonprofit sector. So just staying in uh, existence for 12 years is an accomplishment. You know, something like 75%, 80% of the small startup nonprofits fold in the first two or three or four years. Yeah. So we've been on the playing field for 12 years. We've grown each year. We're now a team of 20. We have a budget of about a million dollars a year, which is not huge, but it puts us in the top 8% of nonprofits in the country based on revenue. We support 1,000 to 1,500 inner city kids a year with 25 different curricula along those four you know, phases. So we have a strong, solid infrastructure that is sustainable and we have evidence of success with measured uh, metrics and indices. And you, that, that's a track record. Uh, that's a track record of success. And you have that in spades. And, and it positions us well for the future. You know, we have a solid foundation and a solid team to build on. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I remember when we talked at length when you were starting this program a decade ago, and you were motivated about the concept. And now you're even more motivated and excited. And, uh, and I think that's wonderful. So what's your dream for the program now and in general uh, in terms of scaling up the program and expanding it broadly? Because this to me seems like something that any inner city program could use. Well, Charlie, we do have uh, ambitious goals. We, the board of directors uh, has approved our goals of scaling exponentially in the next five years. And we define that as a tenfold growth in five years or less as measured by outputs and outcomes. Outputs is the quantity of students, the quantity of contact hours, the, the number of, of teachers trained. That, that's pretty easy to measure. It's easy to measure outputs. More importantly is to scale the outcomes the changes that we're making in the lives of the students and the families. And quite frankly, that's gonna be measurable by how many students can we groom for these paid STEM internships? That's very quantitative. Mm -hmm. So this past year, we have 12 STEM internships this summer, which is an accomplishment. We are gonna build that to 120 in three years. Mm -hmm. so that means the whole pipeline down upstream of that has to be scaled. And that's going to be done here in the Tri-City region of Annapolis, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. But we also want to move into other regions around the country. How because as you said, every, 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 like Chicago, Detroit, L.A. Bring it to Chicago. We need it. You open up some doors and we'll be there. I mean, you know, we obviously have to raise some money. We have to hire some local talent, but we're ready to move into Chicago, Charlie. Yeah. Well, Corky, you've never been one to uh, set uh, modest goals. And I think maybe one of the things you've learned, uh, is, as I did, was at the pep rallies at the Naval Academy. Oh. A good football team. Do you remember what Uncle Charlie used to tell us? Uncle Charlie, I, I don't know the exact, but he said something like, you can do anything that you set your mind to. And something like that, you know, you can do anything. I don't know the exact words. You got it exactly right. And then he punctuated it at the end by saying, and don't you forget. And don't you forget. I mean, yeah. And I'll tell you, that's what we pass on 
to our kids, even though, you know, to tell you the truth, they don't believe it at first because they're from such, you know, such conditions, they sometimes don't believe they can do anything yep. because they look around them and so many of their peers and their adults are not doing very much. Wow. You know, uh, you're familiar with the critical skills and, and to right. me, what you've done, not only in theory of what you wanted to do, but what you've demonstrated is that these critical skills of communications, production, information, analysis, technology, interpersonal, time management, continuous education, they fit into your program perfectly and integrate themselves beautifully with STEM. Well, absolutely. And all of those skills are skills that our 20 person team needs. I mean, you know, cause we're, we're, we're running an organization. We have to instill those in our partners. We partner with schools and, and youth organizations, but Charlie, we've got to instill that in the youth. In the, in the children we serve. And I, I was raised in a rather disciplined family environment where many of those skills just were part of the environment in our home, but that doesn't exist in sometimes the chaotic homes of, of the kids that we're talking about. So teaching those skills, convincing the kids that they're doable, you know, working on project-based learning, working on that robotics competitive team, that's where they internalize these and say, yeah, I, we can do that. And they can do it every bit as good as their more resourced peers in upper-class suburbia. You know, you're, you're one who always has good ideas as many other people do, but you're also one who can actually make it happen. You are an example of somebody who really has the production skill, taking an idea, and taking it to reality. Now your idea is, hey, it works, let's scale it up. Well, you're right. And I'll tell you, I really think, Charlie, that our program is, is encountering a Sputnik moment. 1958, the Soviets put up the first artificial satellite. It shocked the world that they did it before America did. But now it's about diversity, equity and inclusion. I mean, you know, you, you hear those racism and giving the underserved population an opportunity to succeed. That I find it's so pronounced in the last couple of years. And that's exactly what Let's Go is all about. So we're not about theory. When somebody says, how can we increase diversity in the workforce? And then they say, well, what's all the theory? We say, look, we've been doing this for 12 years. You know, we have a model that works. We have indicators of success uh, that, you know, we are producing uh, people that can break out of generational poverty. So I think we're in an ideal state in our country to really scale the let's go model. And that's what we want to do. I think you're right. And you're one that uh, you've, you've been uh, very successful in building ships. And this isn't unlike the complicated nature of building a ship, it's just building a program. Yeah, well, Charlie, I honestly think it's more challenging because social challenges you know, of society are tougher to solve than technical challenges that you know, engineering and science can solve directly. Yeah. Because people are involved and quite frankly, prejudice are involved. We all read about what's going on in the country. It really is more challenging, Charlie. 
let's just uh, now do something hypothetical here. Let's just say you're giving a high school graduation address, or maybe let's make this a middle school graduation address because these kids are then going to go to high school. Uh, what would be some of the golden nuggets of advice that you'd give to these young people? Well, I'll tell you, Charlie, um, there are two, and they're rather esoteric, so it would require some real discussion. So let me just briefly do it. Sure. The first things I would say, um, future leaders of our country, develop an approach to life that's balanced at a high level. Now, when I mention that to people say, oh my God, that's an oxymoron, that, that's balanced at a high level, what does that mean? Well, let me break the two phrases. At a high level, what I mean is, you know that everybody is unique, but yet the same. We all have a different set of talents, of resources that we were born into. I mean, we were all born into a different zip code with a different family and a different set of resources in our community and schools. And let's face it, if you're a LeBron James, boy, you should be a great basketball player, not just a good one, because he's got the innate physical talents of being the best. If you are an Albert Einstein and an intellect like them, we expect at a high level to you to do something really big. If you're a Mother Teresa with her compassion and empathy and love, we expect you to do big things in the community to help people, okay? So if you have big capability and resources, we re you ought to do something at a very high level. Mm -hmm. If you have less resources, you ought to be satisfied to do your best. It may be at a lower level. We can't all be LeBron Jameses. Mm -hmm. We cannot all be uh, Albert Einstein's, but we can be the best we can given our God-given talents and resources. So. I first say, look at yourself and achieve at a high level for you, okay? And it's not just a competition, it's a high level for you. Be the best that you can be. So that's the at a high level. Now, balanced is a little bit trickier. To me, I mean balanced is, it's the opposite, Charlie, of being extreme. It's easier in life, I've found, to be extreme. If work is good, well, let's just work 15, 20 hours a day, okay? More is better. Well, it's not more better because you now don't have the time to be with your family and your friends and to take care of yourself. So balance in, in this perspective is a lot of balance between your work and your career and your personal life and family. Mm -hmm. And you know that's hard sometimes to create that balance. It sure is. It's the kind of thing where you have to make trade-offs in a way between Absolutely. yourself, your family, and your career. Right. So I would say think carefully about what is balanced at a high level for you. And I, I didn't come up with that. It sounds awfully erudite. I believe one of the Greek philosophers, I don't know if it was Socrates or Aristotle, was teaching a class and he was asked, Master, what is the ideal state of life? And he said, balance at a high level. Huh. So I read that at about age 25. I said, well, if a Greek philosopher think it's pretty good, it must be pretty good for me. I can't say that I've been successful with it all the time. It's uh, particularly the balance has been elusive to me. 
but I've got, I'm 79 years old, Charlie. I got 20 more, one more years to get it right. You got it. And I have no doubt that you'll do it. And by the way, I think at the end of that address, I can just imagine Corky Graham standing up there and raising both hands and saying, you can do anything you set your mind to do. And don't you forget. The, the other piece is even maybe a little bit more um, difficult to understand for some. And that is live a life of confident humility. And again, people say, well, that's the opposite. Well, let me break it down. Humility means to me is you realize you cannot achieve great things by yourself. You got to be part of a team of other people. But then from my faith-based background, you're aligning your will with God's will. Mm -hmm. We just can't achieve big things by ourselves. We can achieve big things uh, with God's help. So that's the humility. You can't do it yourself. But the confidence is when you form those teams, with other people, and you form that team with your higher self, which I call God, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. So confident because you're part of a team, humility, realizing you can't do it by yourself. Wow. Well, Corky, how can listeners get in touch with you and how can they support Let's Go Boys and Girls? I think we need to give some people some information because this is one heck of a good cause and it's so important to the future of this country. So how- Well, well thank you. Um, our website is easy. If you just Google Let's Go or Let's Go Boys and Girls, our website will come up and that will give you information about the program and a contact us uh, button. Uh, my own personal email is c.gram3 at me.com. I'd love to have an email. And my cell number is 443-994-3730. And believe me, we want people that want to invest their time, their talent, and some of their treasure. And you may not have a lot of treasure, but boy, if you have some time and talent, let's you know join the team. If you are, have a reasonable you know, amount of money, would love to have donations, let's face it. A nonprofit, the only way we survive is to raise money. Yep. So we would love to meet with people and tell them our story, convince them that we're worthy. And we also want connections. So if you know somebody, connect us to somebody that might be interested in us. So contacts, connections, networking would like. So we can use a lot of help. If we're gonna grow exponentially, we've got to get lots of help and lots of partnerships. Corky, give us that uh, email address again, nice and slow. Yeah, and email is c.gram3 at me.com. c.gram3 at me.com, okay. Yes. And another email that will get to me, if, if it's easy to remember, is clark at letsgoboysandgirls.org. Got it. And the phone, number, the phone number again. And the phone number again is 443 994-3730. Right. So with that, you can text me and you know we can set up a meeting. I'm I'm big on Zoom meetings and you know that's that's real fast to get to know people. Well that's fantastic. And Corky, I want to say in Navy terms for what you've done over the past decade, Bravo Zulu. 
Well, Charlie, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about the program and the potential to really provide social good at, at scale. And I hope that some of your listeners will get in touch with uh, me and my teammates. I, so, I hope they do too. And I, I want to tell you, I admire you so much and, and I'm virtually in awe of what you've done and wish you the very, very best of success with Let's Go Boys and Girls. Thank you very much, Charlie, for this opportunity. Great, great talking to you again. And thank you too, Corky, for being our guest on It's All About Skills. Now, as for me, I'm an internationally certified career coach and I specialize in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, charliejetcoaching.com. And it's Charlie with C-H-A-R-L-I-E, Jet, J-E-T-T, coaching.com. So I want to thank all of you for listening today. And we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.